0: Your with I want to thank you once again for tuning in to the Underground Christian Network. Our topic today we're going to be dealing with is the Bible. It's come to all of our attention here at the Underground Christian Network that the Christian church in our modern day has been caught up in a great delusion concerning these new Bible translations. There have been many who have tried to stand up for the accurately translated Bible in the English language, the King James Version,
1: and they often
0: get shouted down by people who are promoting the New Bible translations. So I've taken the opportunity to listen to many of the debates that have been given by people who are promoting the New Bible Translations, and it gets very frustrating when you actually stop to listen to it, because most of the time when you're listening to it, the people who are promoting the New Translations love to keep the topics on things that go over people's heads. They like to deal with uh, manuscripts and Erasmus, but when it's all said and done, they've talked about things that goes over the head of the average person, but makes the person who is using the terminology sound like they're really intelligent, when in actuality they haven't touched on the real meat of the problems with these new translations. Oftentimes, when speaking of the new translation, the concept of rat poison comes to mind. With rat poison, if you read the ingredients, rat poison is more than 99% good food. It is only trace amounts of poison that's been added to that good food that makes it deadly to the whatever comes and eats it. doesn't even have to be a rat that would eat it. Whatever eats it is going to get poisoned by it. And these new Bible translations fits the mold because what they've done is they have mingled together Christian theology with world theology. And what I do is I don't classify these new Bible versions as modern Bible translations. I classify them as world Bibles because what they've done is they've taken Christian doctrine and watered it down, and they've taken the teachings of other religions and mixed them in to these new translations. Now, because many Christians have not done much research in comparative religions and research into what other religions teach, they wouldn't know for instance, Jehovah's Witness teaching if it was put into their Bible, or Mormon teaching if it was put in their Bible, or uh, occultic teaching if it's been put into their Bible. So I decided that what I would do is I would try to put together a sermon in simple English so that anyone from the youngest to the oldest, from a new Christian to a veteran to a scholar, can sit back, look at this, you can pull out your own Bible no matter what translation you have, look at these things, and when it's all said and done, If you can still look at the NIV, American Standard, New American Standard, Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, Today's English, Living Bible, New Century Edition, Century Edition. If you can look at all these new translations and still believe that they're from God, then there's no more that I can do. When you see the things that they've changed, when you see the doctrines that they have changed in these new translations, when you see the missing verses... Many Christians are surprised to discover there's actually verses missing in the new Bibles. So what I want to do first of all is we need to set the precedent. Is there really such a thing as a counterfeit Bible translation? Let's start from the top. If we can prove that there is such a thing as a counterfeit Bible translation, then we have to determine if the Bible translation we're using is counterfeit. Oftentimes, when I bring this topic up, people would bring up the verse and say, you know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and so forth. But I always remind them, it doesn't say all Bibles are scriptures. Is every Bible version that's out there from God? Let's take a look. The first one we're going to look at here, I have here in my hand, it's called The New Testament by Johannes Griever. Here's the full title. The New Testament, a new translation and explanation based on the oldest manuscripts by Johannes Griever. Part 1 translation. It was put together by Johannes Grieber, and this one came from the Johannes Grieber Memorial Foundation. They have an address here. I'm not sure whether the address is still valid because this Bible version was copyrighted 1937. But the address it has here is 139 Hillside Avenue, Teaneck, New Jersey, 07666. Kind of interesting this one would have 666 in it. You realize where it came from. How do you determine? Whether or not this translation, which calls itself a New Testament, is a legitimate Bible or a bogus Bible. The only way it can be done is you need to look into its background to determine whether or not it has origins in Christianity or whether it has origins somewhere else. Is it doctrinally accurate? What's the history behind it? Who translated it? What was their technical translation? Were they trying to translate literally? Or were they adding their own thoughts and feelings? Or did they try a different translation? Let's find out how this particular Bible version was put together. In the very front of this Bible, which claims to be a New Testament, it has Matthew through Revelation in it. It has stories of the Bible in it, but they've been changed. Let's take a look and find a little bit more about this New Testament translation. Right here. At the introduction of this Bible, right in the front of it, and I have it right here, page 15, this is what Johannes Reeper had to say concerning himself. Page 15, Paragraph 2. I myself was a Catholic priest, and until I was 48 years old, had never so much as believed in the possibility of communicating with the world of God's spirits. The day came, however, when I involuntarily took my first step towards such communication and experienced things that shook me to the depths of my being. After I had taken the first step, I could not stop. I must go forward. I must have enlightenment. Go down to paragraphs further where he goes deeper. My experiences are related in a book that has appeared in both German and English and bears the title Communication with the Spirit World: Its Laws and Its Purposes. Many of the readers of this book who have sought to communicate with God's spirit world have experiences similar to my own and found the same truth that I have found. I have availed myself of this contact with the source of truth to seek enlightenment above all, in regard to the text of the Bible as we know it today. And down two paragraphs later, it says, In rare instances which text pronounced correctly by the divine spirits can be found in none of the manuscripts available today. I have used the text as it was given to me by these spirits. This Bible version of his, by his own admission, was put together with the assistance of spirits. He mentioned his book, Communication with the Spirit World, which I have right here. Pretty big book. And what this book is all about is this. Johann Weber was a former Catholic priest. He was invited to what was called a prayer meeting. When he got there, he found out it was actually a seance. He had never been to a seance before, and he was very skeptical about what was going to happen. So he decided to stick around. The demon manifested itself and possessed a little child that was there. This child began to speak with the voice of the demon, and this devil began to teach doctrines. Grieber was so intrigued and interested by what this demon had to say, that he put together this book, Communication with the Spirit World, which was a conversation held between him and this devil. After communicating with these spirits for a while, he became of the impression that he could write a better Bible, if he only had their help to do it. And that's the origin of this so-called New Testament by Johannes Grieber, a translation put together with the assistance of spirits. A flyer came also with this Bible version, and what the flyer says is that this Bible version was put together also with the assistance of Grieber's wife. It says here, at times it was given, at times he was given correct answers in large illuminated letters passing before his eyes. Other times, he was given correct answers during prayer meetings, named at seances. His wife, a medium of God's spirit world, was often instrumental in conveying the correct answers from God's messengers to Pastor Greber. What you have here in this $145 Bible, that's how much it cost me to get it, is a demonically translated Bible version. But it was being passed off as being an accurate Christian translation. Would you say this Bible version is from God, knowing its origins? Let me give you examples of what these demons had to say in here, and then you can answer the question whether or not you believe this is actually a Christian translation of the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how the devils had him translate John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A, lowercase g, God. I'll settle it right there for that one. I think we'll all agree that's a bogus translation. The next one we have here is a New World Translation. This is the so-called Jehovah's Witness Bible Translation. Now, how do we determine whether or not this Bible is legitimate or bogus? Once again, you have to look into its background. What we find look into its background is that the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses refused to release to the public the names of their translators, but it is possible to find out who they are because a very high-ranking member of the Jehovah's Witness religion resigned. Many years ago, his name was Bill Bill Setnar. And when he came out, he gave the names of people who were on the translation committee. There is a transcript that is available from a company called JW Books. And in this transcript, we find that the leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses had been put on trial for something they had written in their publications. And what ended up happening was the man who was responsible, the head translator of their Bible version, was put on the stand. What he had to say on the stand was very revealing. I have a copy of the transcript right here in front of me. And what comes out of this whole thing is none of the men who translated the Jehovah Witness Bible could read, write, or speak Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. So if they can't read, write, or speak the language of the Bible, how did they put together a Bible version? Well, the way that they did it is they took Bibles that already existed, And they sat down a committee of men, between seven and thirteen men, and they began to write word for word, changing anything they didn't like. Anything they didn't agree with, they changed it or took it out. So these are some of the things that you will not find in the Jehovah Witness Bible translation. The Trinity is gone. Hell is gone. The resurrection is gone. The cross is gone. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is gone. Even in their Bible translation, there's at least 17 verses that are completely missing from their Bible translation. You can open it up, for instance, uh, Matthew 17:21. What you'll find in their Bible version from Matthew 17:21, they have a number 21, but there's no verse that follows it. It's just a 21 and a little dash, and it goes to the next verse, 22. One of the things, if you're ever witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness, that you'd want to show them is even though their leaders claim that everything they teach comes directly from the Bible, you want to show them that their Bible translation is incomplete because it has verses missing. And I can give you a list of the verses that are missing, and I'm going to do that a little bit later. And then you can ask them, you know, how do you know, for instance, that, you know, your leaders teach that Jesus is not God? How do you know that one of these verses that they took out of your Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God? You can ask them, your leaders teach, for instance, that there is no literal burning fiery hell. But how do you know that, for instance, the verses that they took out of Mark chapter 9, verse 44, and Mark chapter 9, verse 46, which is missing in the Jehovah's Witness Bible version, both of those verses... How do you know that those verses doesn't teach that there's a literal burning fiery hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched? So that's a great witnessing tool to use. But when you're dealing with the Jehovah's Witness Bible translation, being that all of these things have been taken out of their Bible translation, can you say this is a legitimate Bible or a bogus Bible? I think you would agree that this is a bogus Bible if it's taken out all of these Christian doctrines and has replaced them with Jehovah's Witness doctrine. I think we'd agree this is a bogus translation. Let's change gears a little bit, because there's a number of religions out there that have written their own Bible version. You have the Seventh-day Adventists, which have written their own Bible version called the Clear Word Edition, in which they've added to the text. They went into various verses of the Bible, mainly in the book of Daniel, and they've added more than 500 words to the book of Daniel in order to make the false prophecies of their founder, Ellen G. White, appear to be true prophecies. And I think based on that, you agree, Their version is bogus because they're adding to the Bible the words of men. Uh, The Mormons have written their own Bible version, and you've got to be careful with this. Their founder, Joseph Smith, was a plagiarizer. You'll find in the Book of Mormon, for instance, where their founder, Joseph Smith, is clearly plagiarizing sections of the King James Version word for word. What he didn't know is that the King James translators were honest men when they added words for clarification, they wrote it in italics in the King James Version. Joseph Smith didn't know that, so when he was plagiarizing the King James Version, he wrote it italics and all. Yet he claimed these were in golden plates. They've also written a bogus version and called it a King James Version. you got to be careful with that, too. Joseph Smith has written his own version and called it a King James, and it's not. They call it the Inspired Version. The real King James is called the Authorized Version. King James Version, so beware of of their corrupted uh, translation, trying to pass it off as a King James. There's another Bible version also, a couple of them that I've been noticing as of late, where some of these Bible-producing companies who are strongly promoting the new translation are passing on to the public altered versions of the King James Though the King James Version doesn't have a copyright on it because it was written before the copyright law, some of these Bible publishing companies have been being very dishonest by printing books that they're calling King James Versions. But then when you look at an actual King James Version, you're finding out that they're changing verses in it. For instance, uh, I understand that the so-called New Schofield Bible Version in the King James In various verses that they have there, they have the actual King James Version verse in the footnote. But they put their own words in the verse of the Bible. It's getting very frustrating because they're making it harder and harder for people to get the accurately translated Bible because they keep watering things down. Another one I've noticed also, I had a friend of mine who used to use the NIV. And I began to show her these things that I'm about to show you. And after a while, you know, she was very resistant. She was very resistant to the the idea of switching because she really liked her NIV. But she had gone to church, and there was a guest speaker in who was using the King James Version. And she was trying to follow the speaker with her NIV. And she noticed she could not follow him with the NIV because the NIV was saying one thing, and the King James Version was saying something else, and it got her very frustrated. So she went to the Christian bookstore, and she bought what she thought was a King James Version study Bible. Now, it said it's a King James Version study Bible, but again, my Christian brothers and sisters, we have to be bereaved. We can't just accept something at face value. we got to look at it and find out if it is what it actually claims to be. Now, we're warned that the, the wolves are going to come in in sheep's clothing. They're not going to come in saying, Hey, I'm the wolf. I'm here to eat you. They're going to come in pretending to be sheep. This is what I learned about this, what was called a KJV study Bible. I asked if I could hold it. She said, sure. I opened it up to the front. Most people don't even read the front part of their Bible. I was very curious about this. First of all, it was put together by Zondervan Publications. Immediately, my antenna went up because I know Zondervan Publications is a strong promoter of the NIV, and we're going to get on the NIV in just a moment. I said, why in the world would this company that strongly opposes the King James Version be printing a King James Version? They got me curious. Secondly, there was a man's name in the front of this Bible as one of the the, the chief people responsible for it. I said, hang on a second. Is this the same who debates against King James Version people? It just wasn't mixing. How in the world can this be? And then I found the answer as I continued to read. In at least three parts of this book, which was claiming to be a King James Version study Bible, this is what it said. It says, all study notes in this Bible version derive from the NIV and New American Standard Version. I said, there you go. I went back to my friend and I said, hey, did you see this? I said, when you went to the Christian bookstore, did you go there to buy an NIV study Bible? She said, no. I said, did you go there to buy a New American Standard Study Bible? She said, no, I went to buy a King James Version study Bible. I said, this is not a King James Version study Bible. It says KJV, but it says here, all the study notes that are in here are from the NIV and a New American Standard. This is not a King James Version study Bible. This is an NIV, New American Standard, cloned. I said, take it back. Take it back. This is not a King James Version study Bible. There is a great deception going on And you and I, who are Christians, are the target. And the main target is the next generation of Christians who are having these new Bible versions pushed on to them. Let's get down to it, to these Bible versions that most Christians use. There are major problems with these new translations, and we cannot ignore it. We can't keep ignoring these problems, folks. We can't keep ignoring it and hoping it will go away. The first problem. If somebody came to you and said, I have a brand new Bible, it's more modern. It's written in easy to understand English language. It's written from the oldest manuscripts, put together with the best scholars, and they really butter the whole thing really good. And you take this Bible version and you really start to like it, and then you discover there's verses missing in this Bible. What would you do? How many verses would have to be missing in your Bible before you would admit This new Bible version cannot be from God because God warns you are not to take anything from His Word. You're not to add to it. You're not to take away from it. We all know the scriptures say that, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many verses would have to be missing before you would say, okay, this is a bogus Bible? One verse? Five? Seven? Ten? Fifteen? How many would have to be gone? Come up with a number. How many have to be gone before you would say, this is a bogus Bible. I'm going to get me a Bible that has all the verses in it. Well, here's a test. Grab your Bible. No matter what version you have. Open your Bible to Matthew 17:21 and see if it's there. I'm not saying in the footnote. I want to make the distinction. The Bible is the Word of God. The footnote is the opinion of men. Let me say that again. The Bible is the word of God. The footnote is the opinion of men. If they took the verse out of the Bible and stuck it in the footnote, they took it out of the authority of God's word position and put it into the opinion of man position. Do you understand what I'm saying? When a pastor is standing there reading from the word of God from the pulpit... He doesn't read a verse and then read you the footnote and read a verse and then read you the footnote and then read a verse and read you the footnote. And when you're reading the Bible, you don't read a verse and then read the footnote and read a verse and read the footnote. You read the Bible. So if they took the verse out and stuck it in the footnote, if it's in the footnote, it don't count. We want the word of God. We don't want the opinion of men. Look in your Bible and see if Matthew seventeen twenty one is in your Bible. If you have an NIV, American Standard, New American Standard, Revised Standard, newer uh, Revised Standard, these new translations, where did Matthew seventeen twenty one go? And how many of you never even knew there's a verse missing? The King James Version has it in there. The new versions don't. How about Matthew eighteen eleven? You'll find that's gone too. So is Matthew twenty three fourteen. So is Mark seven sixteen. So is Mark forty four. So is Mark nine forty six. So is Mark eleven twenty six, so is Mark fifteen twenty eight, so is Luke seventeen thirty six, so is Luke twenty three seventeen, so is John five four, so is Acts eight thirty seven, so is Acts twenty four seven. So is Acts twenty eight twenty nine, So is Romans sixteen twenty four. That's a lot of stuff to be taken out of the Bible, folks. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these, and we're going to find out a basic question. We are told that these new Bible translations are here to make the Bible easier to understand, aren't we? We're told here to make the Bible easier to understand, easier to read, written in modern language, all this. But they didn't tell us they took verses out of the Bible, did they? How many of you have ever heard a commercial they said, you know, this is a new modern translation, written from the oldest manuscripts, the best scholars, you know, you really need this Bible. And oh, by the way, we took verses out of the Bible too. Never heard that. So what we're going to do is we're going to find out whether or not, first of all, the verses they took out, whether they're archaic. Because they claim the King James Version is too archaic and we need a modern translation. If a modern translation means you're going to be taking verses from the Bible, uh, I'm sticking with my King James, thank you very much, that has all the verses in it. We're going to find out a basic series of questions. We're going to read the verse. I'm going to read for you the verses they took out. And I'm going to ask you three questions Who benefits by having this verse removed? Does God benefit by having the verse removed? Do Christians benefit by having the verse removed? Or does Satan and devils benefit by having this verse removed? Let's start with the first one, Matthew 17:21. In King James it says, Howbeit this kind goeth not, but by prayer and fasting. The disciples had came to him. They were asking in verse 19, how come they couldn't cast out a particular kind of demon, a particular kind of devil. They tried to cast it out, they couldn't do it. Jesus gave them the answer in verse 21. Howbeit, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. That verse has been removed from the New Bibles. Who benefits by having this verse removed? Does God benefit by having this verse removed? No. Does Christians benefit by not knowing how to cast out a devil? No. Do devils benefit by Christians not knowing how to cast them out when they possess someone? Yes, I think you would agree. That verse being taken out of the Bible only benefits the evil one. Matthew 18.11, the next verse that was taken out of the New Bible Versions. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Are there archaic words in that verse? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. No archaic words. So why did they take it out? Okay, let's ask our question. Who benefits? Does God benefit by us not knowing why he sent his Son? No. Do Christians or the world in general benefit by not knowing why Jesus came? No. Do the devils benefit by the world not knowing why Jesus came? Yes, they do benefit. What you're going to notice is that each of these verses that they took out are not beneficial to Christians by having these verses removed. Matthew 23:14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive greater damnation. That verse was taken out of your new Bible. Why? It could be that because many of the cults out there are all about giving these long, flamboyant prayers, or mantras, or rosaries, so you got to take this verse out in order to make the new world religion that is coming More palatable. He calls them hypocrites who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, and he tells them they're going to receive a greater damnation because of this. Does God benefit by having this verse removed? It's a warning that he's given to people who are religious but don't know God. Do Christians benefit by having this verse removed? Do the devils benefit? By people believing that by giving long prayers they're somehow going to get God's attention, I think you can see what the pattern is. Let's go to the next one, Mark seven sixteen. This one's real simple. Why would they take it out? Mark seven sixteen. If any have ear to hear, let them hear. What's archaic about that? This is God's way of saying, listen up. i got something important I'm going to say here. But again, New Translations takes it out. Who benefits by taking out this word from the Lord? Obviously, Christians do not benefit by this being taken out. Next one, Mark chapter 9, verse 44 and verse 46. In the Greek, I understand... They didn't have the exclamation point as we have in English. So when they really wanted to emphasize something, what they would do is they would say it over and over and over and over. You will find in this Mark chapter 9 passage, Jesus is talking about the dangers of hell. He is warning people that hell is such an awful place and warns them that hell is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He says it over and over and over again. Verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life, maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Here's verse 44 that they took out. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. 45. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter halt into life, than to have two feet and be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 46, this is the one they took out again, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Twice, Jesus warned, hell is a place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Twice, they took it out. Who benefits from having these two verses taken out of the Bible? Does God benefit by his people not knowing that hell is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched? Do Christians benefit or do the devils benefit by people not knowing what an awful place hell actually is and that they should flee from it? Just stop and think about it. This is the pattern that these new Bible versions are following. They are taking out key verses from the Bible. And this is doctrine. Hell is doctrine, folks. They took out doctrine. And they can't say, well, we left verse 45 in there. No. I believe when Jesus speaks, every word that he spoke was important. And no so-called scholar or translator has a right to take Jesus' words out of the Bible. If he said it, he meant for it to be there, and we don't have the right to take it out. The next one, Mark eleven twenty-six. But if you do not forgive, neither shall your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Why would they take that out of your Bible? But they did, didn't they? If you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. To save time, I'm just going to remind you of the question, who benefits by having these verses removed? Obviously, Christians do not benefit by having these verses removed. Yet, we're told in these new translations that they're here to make the Bible Easier to understand. But as you're seeing, they're taking stuff away from the Bible that is important to help people understand it. Next one, Mark fifteen twenty-eight, And the scripture was fulfilled with saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Why would they take that out? Why would they take that out? Just ask yourself, who's benefiting? This? this is the crucifixion here. They're taking out a key prophecy from the Old Testament which identifies the Messiah. They took out the fulfillment of the prophecy. Why would they do that? And who benefits by having a verse taken out? Pastors, I hope you're listening. If you're using these new translations, you're using a translation of the Bible that's not a Bible. It looks like one. It reads like one. But I think as you see, these verses that they've taken out, and this is just a tip of the iceberg, folks. I'm going to try to break it off soon. I don't want to overdo it. But I do want you to see, we cannot ignore these changes. We need to get back to the rightly, correctly translated, complete Bible version. If you think the King James Version is too hard to understand, that's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. If you don't know what the V, Thou, and Ye means, pull out a dictionary, five minutes, you'll have it down packed, and you can read your King James. It's not that hard, folks. Come on. I would much rather have a complete Bible translation that if I need a dictionary to look up a word, and occasionally, hey, I've learned. I've increased my knowledge to learn the Word of God, rather than having a watered-down Bible version which removes verses from the Bible, and don't even tell the people they removed it. We here at the Underground Christian Network received an email from a lady, and she said it better than I could ever say it. She said, the thing that upsets me the most is that Christians have been willing to sacrifice biblical accuracy for easy readability. I reply, amen. Well spoken. Luke 17, 36. Two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Why would they take that up? Why would they take that up? It's a good question. Luke 23, 17. Luke 23, 17 says, For of necessity he must release. One, unto them at the feast. Why would they take that out? Why would they take it out? This is something that they had to do, something they were known to do. It's here in my King James Version, but it's not in the New Versions. And again, I'm just going to read off the next ones to save time, and let you look up the verses on your own, and ask yourself, why did they take these out, number one? And two, do Christians really benefit by having these verses gone? John 5.4 Acts 8.37, Acts 24.7, Acts 28.29, and Romans 16.24. That's a lot of verses, folks, that they've taken out of the Bible. When you do the mathematics on them and you compare the King James Version with the new translations, it comes down to something like this. The new Bible versions have taken out thousands of words from the Bible, the NIV so far being the chief among them, having removed more than 64,000 words from the Bible and counting. Can you really say that you have the word of God when 64,000 words are gone? And 17 verses at least are gone. Just stop and ask yourself that. The next thing I want to touch on is the Trinity. Trinity. In the King James Version, there's a few words used for the Trinity. One is the word Godhead. You will notice the word Godhead has been completely removed from the New Translations. It has been replaced by the term divine nature or divine being. Well, every religion has their divine being, but that doesn't make him a Trinity. You understand what I'm saying? Every religion has their divine being, but that does not make their God our God. The second one is a key verse in 1 John 5, 7. Now, I want you to take note of what they've done in the New Bible versions, because all the New Bible versions have a number 7 for 1 John chapter 5, but what they don't have is verse 7. I want you to take a look. And see what it says in your new translation as I read for you what it says in the King James Version. And tell me if your verse 7 reads the same way as the King James Version's verse 7. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 5. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's verse 7 in the King James Version. Is that what your verse 7 says? I'll read it again. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Is that what your Bible says? This is the strongest verse in the Bible proving the Trinity of God. Yet, the New Bible has taken it out. I'm sure the people involved in cults who deny the Trinity like Jehovah's Witnesses love the idea that the Trinity has been taken out of the New Bible versions. As a matter of fact... I was witnessing to some Jehovah's Witnesses very recently, a couple of ladies out there. And I was showing them in their Bible version that their Bible has verses missing. And you want to find something interesting, you will discover that the new Bible translations, NIV, New America Standard, America Standard, Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, have the very same verses missing that the Jehovah's Witness Bible has missing. Stop and ponder that one for a bit. Jehovah's Witness religion, a religion which... Uh, rejects 99 out of 100 Christian doctrines, yet still claims to be Christian, their Bible is agreeing with the New Translation, and they hate the King James Version. I say the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so if they hate the King James Version, I'm going to stick with the sword they don't like it and poke with. I was witnessing to these two Jehovah's Witnesses, and I was showing them their, ver- their Bible had verses missing, and this is what the lady said. She said, well, why do you have a problem with our Bible? Your, your Christian Bible, your NIV, your American Standard and them, they have the same verses missing that ours has missing. You see, these new Bible versions are undermining the Word of God because they have sinners believing that they're okay in their sin. They can't see that their Bible has a problem having verses missing because they can turn to the NIV, American Standard, New American Standard, Revised Standard, all these new Bibles that, hey, we don't have a problem with verses being missing because your Christian Bibles have verses missing. But what they don't know is that these new Bible verses are not Christian Bibles. And I think it's very revealing that an anti-Christian cult like Jehovah's Witnesses are now promoting the new translations to people. Very Very scary stuff. This is what they've done in the New Bible versions to the Trinity passage of 1 John 5-7. You will notice your verse 7 does not read the same way the King James Version does. They've completely taken the Trinity out. If you have a New American Standard, this is what they've done. They took verse 6, they split it in half. This is what verse 6 says in the King James Version. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is a spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. That's verse 6 in the King James Version. If you have a New American Standard, you will notice that the top part of verse 6 is your verse 6. But the bottom part, and it is a spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth, I think they made that into your verse 7. They took the Trinity out and they put the bottom part of verse 6 in and put a number 7 in front of it. Isn't that what they did? If you have an NIV, they went the other way. They took verse 8 and split verse 8 into two parts. In the King James Version, it says for verse 8, For there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. They took the top part of verse 8, made that into a counterfeit verse 7. You will see in your NIV, it just says there are three witnesses. Then it's up to verse 8, spirit, blood, and the water. Now, can you say this is honest scholarship? to completely remove the passage on the Trinity, and then in order to cover up for the fact that they removed the verse on the Trinity, they split verse 6 in half, or split verse 8 in half, and make a counterfeit verse 7? This is serious stuff, folks. And we're going to top it off with this, one of the most disturbing things I've noticed in the New Bible Versions. I've gone to a pastor, and I asked him, and you can do this too, I asked them, who is the morning star according to the Bible? Let me ask you, who's the morning star according to the Bible? Jesus Christ. According to Revelation chapter 22, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, I, Jesus, have sent my name to testify to you these things. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus said he's the morning star. Well, the new Bible versions have done him in. Or attempt to do amen. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, and following tells the story of the fall of Lucifer. In the King James Version, Isaiah begins talking about one king and then he changes gears at verse 12 and begins talking about the fall of Lucifer. In the New Bible translations, though, you will find that something very disturbing has happened. Lucifer is gone. This is the only passage in the entire Bible where Satan is called Lucifer. In the New Bible versions, Lucifer doesn't appear in the Bible at all by the name Lucifer. But what they've done is they have done a 180 degree reversal in this verse. Let me read for you what it says in the King James Version. And I'm going to have you follow along in your translation and tell me what's been changed. Here we go. Verse 12, Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Verse 15 says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the size of the pit. Any reader reading this knows this passage is talking about Lucifer. You can go to a nickel and dimer on the street and say, Who's Lucifer? And odds are he'll know Lucifer's the devil. There's no way you can read this passage the way it is in the King James Version and walk away believing that this passage is talking about anybody else but Satan. But what if you have the new translations? Are they really making the Bible easier to understand? Let's take a look. Isaiah 14.12 in the NIV says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You' have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations, and their verse fifteen does not say "Hell." Their verse fifteen agrees with the Jehovah Witness translation by exchanging Hell for the grave. Listen to what it says here, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Now, let me ask you something. This is what I've done with pastors who are using these new translations. I would ask them, who's the morning star? Every single one of them says, the morning star is Jesus Christ. Every pastor will let you know, if he knows his Bible, the morning star is Jesus Christ. The word morning star does not appear here in the Hebrew manuscript. So why did they stick it in this verse? In some versions of the New American Standard, to make the blasphemy even stronger, they put a footnote next to verse 12, leading people to Revelation chapter 22, where Jesus said that he is the bright and morning star. And let me ask you this, too. If you still want to try to justify the New Translations to say that morning star could actually be Satan... Notice on verse 15 it says you shall be brought down to the grave in the NIV in the New Translations. If Satan is a spirit, which he is, how do you put a spirit in a grave? They don't stay there. They're talking about a different character altogether, a different person altogether. And it's scary. Some of the cults have jumped on this. A book written by the Freemasons had an article in it and which they are praising the New Translation, because most people don't realize that in the Freemason religion, Lucifer is the god of that religion. The Masons are sworn to secrecy from day one, that they will not reveal the secrets of the Masonic Lodge, but what they're not told is that, as they're supposedly trying to find the secret name of God, which is the whole gimmick of that religion, that by the time they reach the 32nd, 33rd degree, it'll finally be revealed to them who their god actually is, and by the time it's revealed to them who their God actually is, they've sworn so many secrets against their life and so forth, they can't say anything about it. But it's very disturbing when you stop and you you look at uh, what's said in their actual books. I have one of their books right here. It's called The Lost Keys of Freemasonry by Mantley T. Hall, a 33rd degree mason. He's up there at that level where they finally revealed to them who their God actually is in Freemasonry, even though Masons are told that Freemasonry is not a religion. When you read the book Morals and Dogma, uh, Albert Pike spells it out very clearly that Freemasonry is a religion. This is what it says on page 48 of the Lost Keys of Freemasonry concerning the Mason and who their God is. Page 48. When the Mason learns the key to the warrior on the block is the proper application of the dynamo of living power, he has learned the mystery of his craft, capital C., The seething energies of Lucifer are in his hands, and before he may step onward and upward, he must prove his ability to properly apply energy. There are some religions that teach that Lucifer is a good guy, and a source of energy, and power, and knowledge, and they teach that Lucifer and Satan are two opposite beings. They're two different beings. In some religions, they're taught that way. In Mormonism, they're taught that Lucifer and Jesus Christ are brothers. Well, that's not the God we worship, but that's what they teach. These new Bible versions help them out because they remove Lucifer from the Bible altogether. And they don't even let people know Lucifer is a fallen angel. The King James Version does not leave the door open for that private interpretation, but the new Bible version leaves the door open for people to think that Jesus Christ was cast out of heaven for wanting to be equal with God. What other conclusion are you going to come to? If you cross-reference Morning Star through the Bible, you're not going to run into Lucifer. You're going to run to Jesus Christ. And when you have books like the New American Standard, which puts a little footnote in there leading people to Jesus Christ, how are you going to say these new Bible versions are actually from God? Which such blasphemy is this. But this is not the only occultic thing that's been added to the New Translations. Anybody uh, noticed that the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke has a very strange rendering in the New Translations? This is part of the reason why I say the New Bible versions are world Bibles and not Christian Bibles. They're made to appeal to a larger group of people than just Christians, because they have Christian doctrine mixed in, but they also have other teachings mixed in as well. Let me show you how easy it is for Christians to be tricked in our modern day. You ready for this? Okay. More than a hundred years ago, a Roman Catholic nun which is described by the Roman Catholic Church as stigmatic and emphatic. This Roman Catholic nun involved in spiritualism, communication with the dead, and communication with spirits, while in one of her trances came in contact with a spirit which claimed to be Jesus Christ. While in communication with this spirit, the spirit allegedly told her what happened during the last 12 hours of his life on the earth. Now remember, this spirit being is claiming to be Jesus. This nun was so taken by the story, the same way Johannes Grieber was taken by this demon's story, and he ended up writing the book, Communication with the Spirit World, and then writing his occultic Bible version. This Roman Catholic nun sat down and wrote a book based on what this devil taught her while she was in her trance communicating with it. More than a hundred years later, a very wealthy young man picks up that book and reads it, and he is so moved by the story, where did the story come from? Did it come from the Bible? No. It came from a Roman Catholic nun who was in communication with a devil while involved in a trance. This wealthy young man picks up a book, he reads it, and he's very moved by what he read. And he ends up spending a lot of money to take this book. Where did this book come from? From the occult, from a Roman Catholic nun communicating with a devil. He takes this book and makes it into a feature-length movie. The name of the movie, folks, was... Are you ready for this? You got your seatbelt on? I hope you got it on tight, because some of you are going to come out of your seat. The name of the movie was The Passion of the Christ. The name of the book that The Passion of the Christ came from was not The Bible. The name of the book that the Passion of the Christ movie was based on is called The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which was written by that Roman Catholic nun, and her name is Anne Emmerich, E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H. You can look it up for yourself, and you'll see I'm telling you the truth, folks. She wrote the the book, The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Mel Gibson read that book, not the Bible. He read that book and based his movie, The Passion of the Christ, on that book, not the Bible. And remember, the book, The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was not based on the Bible. It was based upon her encounter with a spirit being that she came in contact with while in her trance. The movie, The Passion of the Christ had just enough Christianity in it to seduce millions of Christians into believing it was an actual Christian movie. But mixed in with the Christian message was Roman Catholicism from top to bottom. Christians spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to go and watch that movie and to weep and cry over an actor pretending to be not our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But an actor playing out the part of a character from a book written by a Roman Catholic nun involved in a trance. Christians thought this was the Jesus of the Bible. leaves me scratching my head. Couldn't you guys notice the Roman Catholicism in the movie? But then again, most Christians haven't done research into what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. So they didn't even notice That the Jesus they were watching on that screen was not the Jesus of our Bible. We are warned in the Bible, if anyone comes to you with another Jesus, with another spirit, with another gospel, you're not to accept that. Yet some of you in your homes, in your churches, you have copies of the movie The Passion of the Christ and you think that movie is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when all you have to do is read the story of the history behind that movie. It was not based on our Bible. It was not based on the Jesus Christ of our Bible, folks. But the sad part about the whole thing is that I know even after that, there are some of you who are still going to just say, well, you know, I I like the movie, it's got enough spiritualness in it for me, and blah, 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 well, whatever, I've warned you. I've warned you. You can't say you didn't know now. We're going to touch on this last thing, as I was mentioning. More occult stuff that's been placed into the new Bible translations, which somehow has slipped past Christian ministers, pastors, evangelists, and average Christians. Again, because most of them have not done research into the occult, so they don't know what the occult teaches and what they've done. One of the things the occult and Satanism loves to do is they love to take things that are sacred to Christians and blaspheme them. They like to twist them. In the Satanism religion, the Church of Satan, what they would do is they would take the Lord's Prayer and they'd read it backward. In the occult, what they did around the second century with a man named Marcon is he wanted to take the Lord's Prayer and convert it into something that would be a prayer to Satan. The way that he did it was he removed key sections of the Lord's Prayer from the Lord's Prayer. For instance, all references to heaven were taken out of the Lord's Prayer because Satan does not derive from there. God's will being done has been taken from the Lord's Prayer because God's will is to destroy the works of Satan. So they took that out of the Lord's Prayer. They also took out deliver us from evil. Because in some branches of the occult, they don't even believe that evil exists. If you get into religions like uh, Christian science and so forth, which is neither Christian nor science, it is a, a religious cult which teaches that you know good and evil is you know, sort of states of mind and things like that. There are some religions out there that just don't want to accept the, the Christian principles. And what you'll notice when you look into your new Bible translations, New America Standard, NIV, Revised Standard, so forth, in the book of Luke you have Marcone's satanic version of the Lord's Prayer. It's right there in your supposedly Christian modern translation, which I call a World Bible. Because what they've done is they put the Christian version of the Lord's Prayer, for the most part, in the book of Matthew. They put the occultic version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version, and you tell me what's missing in your version. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's King James Version. Luke 11, verse 2, to verse what does it say in the new translations well chapter 11 verse 2 says and he said unto them when you pray say father not our father just father hallowed be your name notice which art in heaven is gone your kingdom come your will be done is missing Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Is that the Lord's Prayer? Let me read it again. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. Is that the Lord's Prayer? No, that's not the Lord's Prayer, folks. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Let me sum this up. Look, I can't tell you what to do. We're here at the Underground Christian Network. We venture into the dark areas and we shine a light and we come back and tell you what's there. If you can see all of these things that are in these new translations, and this is just a tippy iceberg. you'll find that in various verses the word fasting has been taken out. You'll find that the word homosexual has been removed from the entire Old Testament. The word sodomite has been removed from the entire Old Testament and has been replaced with the term uh, homosexual offender or shrine prostitute. You'll find, for instance, 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. What does it say in your New Bible version? What does it say in your New Bible version for that verse? Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great, He appeared in a body. Who appeared in a body? Does the New Bible versions really make the Bible easier to understand? The King James Version says, God was manifest in the flesh. The New Bible Version just says, He was revealed in a body. Which one makes it very clear? as to what the Bible is talking about. Jesus, being God, manifested in the flesh. Let me read it from the King James again. First Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, priest unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The New Bible Version, uh, First Timothy 3.16 Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels. He appeared in the body. That does not make the Bible clearer, folks. You can stick that He and make it anybody. Who was revealed? I was revealed in the body. You were revealed in the body. But that doesn't make the clear distinction that they're talking about Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. Most of you are familiar with the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what it says in the King James Version. What does it say in your version? I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Why is it that the New Bible Versions keep removing the word God, Jesus, and Christ at every turn, almost, that you go to in key verses? The word God, the word Jesus, and the word Christ gets cut out and is exchanged with the generic term he you ought to look into that folks because these new Bible versions are not making the Bible easier to understand, they're watering it down to make it more acceptable to people of other religions I want you to understand that these new Bibles are not from God John 3.16 in the King James Version for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son only begotten Son. What does it say in the New Translations? Have you taken a look at John 3.16 recently to see how they changed it? This is what it says in the NIV. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Is Jesus God's one and only Son? Don't answer that question foolishly. Is Jesus Christ God's one and only son, as it says in the NIV? Let's use the scripture to answer the scripture. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Is Jesus the only son of God? Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. the sons of God, speaking of the angels. For them to translate that verse, Jesus is the one and only Son of God, is a doctrinal error. Because my Bible, King James Version, tells me that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And you and I become sons of God through adoption, through the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. You and I become adopted sons of God. For them to say Jesus is the one and only son is a doctrinal error. And I don't know why so many Christians have allowed that to slip by, but they have. In earlier versions of the NIV, they translated that verse, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Now it's one and only son. They're going further from the truth. Yet they're claiming to make the Bible easier to understand So let me sum all this up. I wanted to give you things you can put your hands on. Things you can see with your own eyes from your own translations. Let's sum it all up. We learned from the beginning, there are such a thing as bogus Bibles. Jehovah's Witnesses have one. Mormons have one. Seventh-day Adventists have one. The Roman Catholic Church has one. The Occult has one. The Satanists have one. And now the Christians have bunches of them. You can go into a Christian bookstore and they're all over the place. We have to ask ourselves, did God really ordain these new versions? The Bible says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Question mark. The question is left unanswered, folks. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? If these new Bibles continue the trend that they're on, the answer is going to be no. Because with each new Bible version that comes out, they are water down the gospel more and more and more, and more, and more. They're trying to come up with a user-friendly Bible that won't offend anybody. A gender-neutral Bible, have you heard about that? Where it's no longer the Son of God, it's the Child of God, and so forth. Folks, the King James Version of the Bible has been tried and true, trustworthy, for nearly 400 years. People have been led to the Lord through the King James Version Bible. There have been some who didn't even need a preacher. They had a King James Version Bible by the Gideons placed into a hotel room drawer. They opened it up, they read it, they came to the Lord. That's what the Bible's all about. We don't need the new translations. And when you look at things I've just shown you, Missing verses, changed doctrines, occultic teaching added to the passage, exchanging Lucifer for Jesus Christ and Isaiah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Why do you want the new translations? Easier to read, easier to understand, but doctrinally wrong. Is that a good payoff? It's rat poison. You want to eat it? Hey, you've been warned. Bon Appetit. Eat away. If that's the way you want to go. I can't tell you what to do, but you have been warned. We have the Word of God. We don't need the new translations. We don't need them. We don't need them, folks. We need to get back to the King James Version. It's not that hard to understand, folks. My goodness, it's not hard to understand the King James Version. It's got a few hard words in there. Okay, grab a dictionary. I would much rather raise my intellect to the level of a King James Version Bible than to lower the Bible down to the level of a human brain. The King James Version has been easy to understand for people for nearly 400 years. And I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you guys have lives and you have things to do. I've given you a, a, a handful. And if I came across too strong, I, I apologize, but I do not apologize to tell you the truth. You can hate me. You can send me a hate email. I've gotten plenty of hate emails for promoting the King James Version. If you want to send them, you can send them to musical Gardens plural, musicalgardens, at hotmail.com. But I think if you look honestly at these new translations, you'll learn that these translations cannot be from God. He would not have one Bible tried and true for nearly 400 years preaching one thing and then having 25, 30, 40 Bibles coming out teaching a different doctrine. That's all I've got to say, folks. I I love y'all. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. You're my friends. If you don't agree with me, there's not much I can do about that. I've given you stuff you can put your hands on. And you can see I'm not making any of this up. So, uh, you know, if you want to wanna write me in and tell me off, that's fine. But uh, I would hope that we would return back to the authorized King James Version Bible. I would hope we do. Why is there no revival in our world today? It's real simple. Revivals are revolved around the Bible. And I don't believe God is going to send a revival when His people are using bogus Bibles to lead people to a a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. May the Lord be with you until we meet again. And until we meet again. you in with the underground